Welcome to part two of the Rwanda genocide and welcome back to the good, the bad and the pure evil. I'm picking up where I left off with the RPF completing their conquest and the estimate that over 1 million people were killed in the genocide. 94% were Tutsi ethnicity. The means of killing is next up in this horrific tale. So April 9th, the UN saw the massacre of children at the Polish church in Gikanto in Kilgali. The same day, about 1,000 European troops came to escort Europeans out of the country. The troops witnessed day to help UNAMIR. The Washington Post picked up on the 9th a report of the execution of Rwanda employees at relief agencies in front of their colleagues. Most victims were killed in their own villages, often, like I said in part one, by their neighbours. Militias typically killed with machetes and sometimes rifles. Hutu gangs roamed the streets, kicking in doors of churches and schools, massacring those hiding inside. Local officials and radio called for the ordinary people to kill their neighbours and if they refused, well, you were killed right there. On April 12th in Nyanji, a church held 1,500 Tutsi refugees. Local Inter-Ahamur found out and got bulldozers and knocked the church down. The Tutsis that tried to escape were killed by militias with machetes and rifles. A local Catholic priest would later be found guilty and sentenced to life by the ICTR for his part in the church bulldozing. His conviction was for crime of genocide and crimes against humanity. In Kigali, thousands took refuge up in the official technical school where Belgium UNAMIR soldiers were stationed. On April 11th, these soldiers withdrew and the Tutsi refugees were killed. Rape was used as a tool by the Inter-Ahamaru. Propaganda played a big role in both the genocide and gender-specific violence. Hutu propaganda said Tutsi women were sexually seductive. Fifth Column, which is a group who undermines a larger group from within and the Tutsi women were enemies to the Hutus. Soldiers of the Army for the Liberation of Rwanda and the Defence Forces, including the Presidential Guard and civilians, all raped Tutsi women. Hutu women who didn't abide the orders were also raped. Hutu women who married Tutsis or hid them were also targeted. Marie-Louise Nayombuhunigiro gave testimony that locals watched as other generals and Hutu men raped her five times a day. She said during the breaks from her rape, a woman watched over her. She gave no sympathy, no help, and made her farm the land. A lot who survived became infected with HIV from HIV-infected men who were purposely recruited by the genocidaries. Hundreds of patients from AIDS hospitals were released by Hutu extremists. 
These patients made up the rape squads. Their aim to infect and cause slow, torturous, painful deaths to Tutsi rape victims. Tutsi women also had the reproductive organs mutilated. Sexual mutilations happened after rapes. A mutilation of the vagina was done with machetes, knives, boiled water and acid. Men were also subjected to mutilation, public mutilation of their genitals. Experts say 250 to 500,000 women were raped in the genocide. Pygmy people called Batwa or Twa weren't directly targeted, but 10,000 of them out of 30,000 were killed. They are often called the forgotten victims of the genocide. The Batwa were accused of helping the RPF and those who lived said the Hutu fighters threatened to kill every single Twa. The Rwanda Patriotic Front, known as RPF, would warn the Crisis Committee and the UNAMIR if the killings didn't stop, then the civil war would have to resume. On April 8, Rwanda government forces attacked the National Parliament building. RPF troops that were there fought back. RPF then attacked from the north on three fronts. Their aim was to link up with troops in Kilgali who were isolated. RPF commander Paul Kagami refused to speak with the interim government. For the next few days, RPF advanced south, capturing Gibrairo and the countryside north and east of Kilgali. They wouldn't attack Kilgali city or Bayumba city, but did encircle them, cutting off supply routes. RPF would allow Tutsi refugees from Uganda to settle safely behind front lines in RPF-controlled areas. In April, there were many attempts by UNAMIR for a ceasefire, but Kagami wouldn't agree to stop fighting unless the killing stopped. Late April, RPF had the Tanzania border and moved west from Kibungo to south of Kigali. By May 16th, they cut the route from Kigali and Gitarama off. Where Gitarama was the temporary home of the interim government. By June 13th, the RPF had Gitarama and the interim government fled northwest to Gazini. Kigami was constantly recruiting to expand and strengthen the RPF. New recruits, though, weren't as well trained or disciplined as the earlier ones. Late June, Kilgali was surrounded by RPF and now they began fighting the city. Steadily, they gained territory and rescued civilians from behind enemy lines. Finally, July 4th, the RPF defeated the Rwanda government forces. On July 18th, they took Jizidi and the northwest, forcing the interim government to flee to Sari. The genocide was finally over. But the RPF or Rwanda Patriotic Front also did many, many killings themselves. It's claimed the RPF killed about 30,000 people that were claimed to be the enemies, the Tutsis. Some people blamed Kagami 
as he gave the orders to kill. The International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda, or ICTR, reportedly found two layers of dead bodies in a mass grave in Kilbuye in 1996. One layer was Tutsi victims of the genocide, and the other RPF killings of Hutu civilians. The Rwanda government banned any more forensic investigation on this. André Gujoya, French socialist and expert witness for ICTR, claims the post-genocide government destroyed evidence of Hutu killings to avoid prosecution by the ICTR. There's an argument what the RPF did was also genocide and should have been prosecuted. Now the post-genocide powers do see the RPF killings, but say it was done by unruly recruits looking for revenge and that such acts were swiftly punished. April 28, 1994, about 250,000 refugees, mostly Hutu, poured into Tanzania, crossing from Rumzumo. Rumours began of RPF killings. Refugees fled because they firmly believed RPF were doing the killings. April 30th, RPF took control of Rizumo, so the refugees had to cross the Kagara River, entering rural Tanzania. Early May, the, U the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, or UNHCR, heard solid stories of the RPF killings and made this information public on May 17th. Once the RPF took Rwanda, UNHCR sent a team to investigate. The team's goal was a fast return of the two million refugees. The team was led by American consultant Robert Gerzoni. Gerzoni spoke to 300 people and concluded, quote, clearly systematic murders and prosecutions of the Hutu population in certain parts of the country did happen." End quote. These findings though were hidden by the UN. The Gersoni report was never completed, so technically it didn't exist. But presentation of the findings were leaked in 2010. Gersoni would say from April to August 1994, the RPF killed from 25 to 45,000 people about five to 10,000 a month. But the new authorities always denied Gersony's findings. A RPA officer blamed time constraint for recruiting and that thieves and criminals were among the recruits and that these people were the ones to do such horrible crimes. RPF killings gained international attention with the 1995 Kibiho massacre. In it, soldiers opened fire on a camp in Butari. Australian soldiers who were there as part of the UNAMIR said over 4,000 people were killed by the Rwanda government. But the Rwanda government only quoted 300. So what did the outside world do? Very little is the short answer. You have the UN. They sent UNAMIR, the United Nations Assistance Mission for Rwanda, in October 1993, with orders to oversee implementation of the Arusha Accords. 
Romero Dallari was the commander of the UNAMIR, and he found out about the Hutu power movement and about plans of mass extermination of Tutsis. He also found out about secret weapons from an informant. He would request a raid, but it was denied by the UN Department of Peacekeeping Operation, also called DPRO. They felt Delari was overstepping his position and had to be, quote, kept on a leash, end quote. UNAMIR's peacekeeping was hampered by hardliners, and by April 1994, the Security Council threatened to end UNAMIR's mandate if they didn't start making a difference. After Javier Mana's assassination, the start of the genocide, Delari would meet the Crisis Committee and RPF repeatedly. He would try to get peace and avoid civil war, but neither side wanted a ceasefire. UNAMIR's Chapter 6 mandate made it powerless to intervene militarily. Most Rwanda staff were killed early in the genocide, which limited their ability to operate. UNAMIR became basically a bystander role. Delari later called it quote-unquote failure. It, didn't provide it did provide refuge to thousands of Tutsis and moderate Hutus at the headquarters in Amaro Stadium and assisted evacuation of foreign nationals. April 12th, the Belgian government, who gave the largest troops to the UNAMIR, announced that they were withdrawn, which weakened forces even more. May 17, 1994, the UN passed Resolution 918, which imposed an arms ban and reinforced UNAMIR, which was then called UNAMIR II. Their role was mainly to keep security and stability after the genocide until 1996. Then you have France. They had a close relationship with President Habyara Yamana as part of the Franc-Afrique policy. France helped Rwanda military against RPF in the Civil War. In the early days of the genocide, France launched Amarillis, a military operation helped by the Belgium Army and UNAMIR to get expatriates out from Rwanda. The French and Belgium wouldn't allow Tutsis to accompany them and those who came on to the evacuation trucks were pulled off at checkpoints and killed. The French separated many expatriates and children from their Tutsi spouses, leaving them for certain death. The French did save high-profile members and Habi Armana's wife, Agatha. Late June 1994, France launched Operation Turquoise a UN-mandated mission to make safe areas for displaced people, refugees and civilians in danger. It's claimed Turkish saved about uh, 15,000 people, but many said the operation protected Hutu from RPF, including some that took part in the genocide. France would be hostile to RPF, and their presence did stall RPF's advances for a time. 
Many inquiries have been done as to France's involvement in Rwanda. In 1998, the French Parla uh, Parliamentary Commission on Rwanda accused France of errors in judgment, including military cooperation against ethnic tensions, massacres and violence. But it didn't accuse France of direct responsibility of the genocide. 2019, President of France Macron reopened France's involvement. In April 2021, the Rwanda government concluded their commission, claiming France did nothing to stop what they deemed quote-unquote foreseeable massacres in the genocide. Intelligence showed the US President Clinton was aware before the height of the massacre that a deliberate and systematic genocide to kill all Tutsis was being planned. But fear of another Black Hawk down would have the US reluctant to intervene. President Clinton said the failure to intervene is one of his foreign policy failings. Pope John Paul II was very worried about what was happening in April 1994. On April 9th, he urged Rwanda Catholics to, quote, not to give way to feelings of hatred and revenge, but to courageously practice dialogue and forgiveness, end quote. The Catholic Church affirms the genocide took place, but states those who took part did so without permission of the Church. Some in the Catholic Church's religious hierarchy have been tried and convicted for their part in the genocide by the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda, or ICTR. Many Catholics and other clergy did give their lives to protect Tutsis from being killed. March 2017, Pope Francis acknowledged while some Catholic nuns and priests were killed in the genocide, Others did take part in planning and executing the genocide. The Aftermath Hutu genociders started to regroup in refuge camps along the border with Rwanda. To prevent more genocide, RPF-led government made military trips into Sari, which resulted in the First and Second Congo Wars. After RPF victory, about 2 million Hutus fled, mainly to Sari. Camps were crowded, dirty, and many refugees died in disease epidemics like cholera. Camps were set up by the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, or UNHCR, but were controlled by the army and government of former Hutu regime, include, including those who led in the genocide, and they began rearming to try return to power in Rwanda. Late 1996, Hutu militias in the camps launched regular cross-border trips and the RPF-led Rwanda government counterattacks. Rwanda gave troops and military training to the Banyamilijin, who were a Tutsi group in the South Kivu province. This was done to help defeat Sarian's security forces. Rwanda forces and this group of Tutsi attacked refugee camps of Hutu militias. The attacks had thousands of refugees flee. Many went to Rwanda, even with the RPF presence. Some fled to Sari and were constantly pursued by the RPA. 230,000 Hutu refugees were killed. 
by 1999, a program on propaganda and Hutu integration into the National Army succeeded into getting the Hutu to the government side and the insurgency was defeated. Refugee camps were dismantled. Planning then began of war to remove long-time dictator Mobutu Sisi Siko from power. Mobutu supported genociders in the camps and was accused of allowing attacks on Tutsis in Sari. Uganda and Rwanda supported an alliance of four rebel groups led by Laurent Desire Kabila and they began the First Congo War in 1996. Rebels swiftly controlled the north and south Kivu province. Later they advanced west and gained territory from poorly organized Saharian army. By 1997 they controlled the whole country. Mobutu fled to uh, exile and Sari became the De Democratic Republic of Congo or DRC. In 1998, Rwanda fell out with Congo. A French rebellion gathered support which led to the Second Congo War. This war lasted till 2003 with millions of deaths and a lot of damage. 2010, the UN accused the Rwanda army of human rights violations and crimes against humanity in Congo during the two wars, charges that Rwanda denies. The economy of the country was massively hit during the genocide. Many buildings couldn't be lived in and when former regime members fled, they took all the money and assets with them. Resources dropped with over 40% of the population being killed or had fled. Those who stayed were traumatized, relatives were killed in front of them, or they saw these relatives take part in the genocide. War, war rape had long-term effects like social uh, isolation, sexually transmitted diseases, unwanted pregnancies, which had some women perform their own abortions. The army headed by Kegami kept law and order while government rebuilt. Non-government organizations came back, but most international aid was routed to refugee camps in Sari after the exodus of Hutu from Rwanda. Kegami wanted an uh, wanted an inclusive government and not Tutsi dominated. He had ethnicity removed from the national ID cards and began downplaying distinctions between Hutu, Tutsi and Twa. The destruction of the judicial system in the genocide and civil war was a huge problem. After genocide, over a million were possibly culpable for a role in the genocide. RPF went after a policy of mass arrest for those responsible and those who took part in the genocide, jailing over 100,000 people in just two years. The speed of the arrest had prisons bursting at the seams, which had uh, Amnesty International deem it, quote, cruel, inhumane or degrading treatment, end quote. In the country, there was 19 prisons designed to hold 18,000 people, 
1998, there was over 100,000 people crammed in. Government institutions like courts were destroyed. Judges, prosecutors and court employees were killed in the genocide. By 1997, Rwanda only had 50 lawyers. This had trials very slow. 130,000 suspects were held in prison after the genocide. From 1996 on to 2000, over 3,000 cases were handled. Of the 3,000, 20% got death sentences, 30% got life and 20% were acquitted. It was calculated to do trials on those in prison waiting. It would take over 200 years. It wasn't until 1996 that courts actually began trials for genocide cases. Organic Law Number 08-96 of 30 was enacted. The law had prosecution of genocide crimes committed in the genocide and of crimes against humanity from October 1990. The law had regular domestic courts, the core mechanism to respond to genocide until it was changed in 2001 to include Gakaka courts. The law had four categories. The first had planners, organizers, instigators, supervisors, and leaders. The category also had murderers who distinguished themselves on their zeal or cruelty or who used sexu uh, sexual torture. 22 were executed by firing squad in April 1998. After this, no more executions were done, but death sentences were issued. July 25, 2007, the death penalty was abolished. This converted the previous death sentences to life in solitary confinement. With the slow judiciary system to organic law number 40-2000 in 2001 was passed. The Gakaka courts came into effect. They would handle the least severe cases and they had to find the truth, speed up trying suspects, national uh, unit, unity and to show the ability of Rwanda people to sort their problems. The Gakaka courts face many challenges like being accused of supporting RPF. Judges over the genocide trials were chosen by the people. Once elected, judges got training, but there were concerns the training wasn't good enough to deal with the complex proceedings. Many judges actually resigned following accusations of taking part in the genocide. There was a lack of defence and protection for the accused. The trials were open to the public, but with witness intimidation, this caused issues. June 18, 2012, Gakaka court systems was officially closed. In its lifetime, the Gakaka court is said to have tried nearly 2 million cases, with over a million people tried. While this was going on, the UN created the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda, or ICTR. The UN Tribunal tried high-level high members while Rwanda prosecuted lower-level members and locals. ICTR was disclosed by the end of 2014, but as years passed, it was obvious it was going to pass the state. Officially, it closed December 31st, 2015, 
and handed over any remaining function to the mechanism for international uh, criminal tribunals. The number of Tutsi survivors of the genocide is highly debated. From 150 to 310,000 have been quoted. March 2019, President of the Demo uh, Democratic Republic of Congo visited Rwanda to sign the Kigali Genocide Memorial Book. On April 7, 2019, the Rwanda government had 100 days of mourning to observe the 25th anniversary of the genocide. And that is the story of the Rwanda genocide. Like and subscribe to my YouTube and podcast, The Good, The Bad and The Pure Evil. And join me next time for the story of Ernest Shackleton, Irish-born explorer. He joined an expedition to Antarctic in 1901. He also led the Trans-Antarctic Expedition, but disaster would hit when the ship, the Endurance, was crushed by ice. He and his crew drifted on sheets of ice for months until they reached Elephant Island. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil.